Hi, I'm Frankie de Jong, and you're listening to PR Football Rants. international break has brought divided opinions, trials and tribulations, shocks and screamers, drubbings and draws, but club football looms large on the horizon and with it the eternal promise of European adventure. The Champions League and the Europa League group stages grind into gear next week, twisting the domestic drive with a hint of continental flavour. Dream then before it begins, let your mind soar with thoughts of finals and giant killings and some of the greatest teams and atmospheres and players in this game we love so much. Let's do this then and let me introduce the most elite squad in the podcast game. First, it's the Magnificent, the Magisterial, the Monarch of the Melon, fearlessly firing football fruit-based bullets like nobody's business, the Honeydew Hunter, the Watermelon Warrior. It's the one and only Dean Jones. Wow, what an intro. (laughs) Things you never thought would happen. Watermelon Warrior. (laughs) And whilst he has no fruit-based awards to hand out, I'd also like to welcome BR Football's top banana, the man who leaves the rest of the football world lime green with envy and the other half of this dynamic pair eh got it got it his favorite reggae song of all time no questions Althea and Donna uptown top ranking it's the rank squad Mr. Rank God it is Mr. Samtai hello mate thank very you very good, much mate. for my very lovely good. intro as well you're very welcome you're no very poem welcome. as well which is cool no poem you, you only you know we're going to start to spare them you've got to treating me and keeping team a little bit a little bit my name is jack collins you can call me prince like everybody else does and i will be your sat nav on this journey today and it's quite a journey because later on we're going to be joined by one of our favorite players on this planet a premier league winning goalkeeper who has represented his country at a world cup mr Azmir begovic now at europa league's very own karabag in azerbaijan on a new adventure he was in the studio with sam and i a week ago to talk about the best goalkeepers on the planet and what life is like when you're between the we had a good laugh, didn't we, Sam? We did indeed. It was a lot of fun, and uh, he had quite a lot of complaints to wear. I like it. He, a bit he gutted just... I wasn't here. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, we were all a bit upset that you weren't here, mate. It's, it's always less fun, but as it was good crack, so oh, he did oh. step into your shoes. You, you can admir- listen to it later. Before we get on to Melon of the Week, which I know you are all gagging for, you know what they say, treating mean, keeping keen, same with the poem. So it's time for Hot Takes first. Sam, what have you got for me this week? Roberto Firmino, still, somehow underrated okay champions league winner brazil international and a striker all three of those ingredients should not equal underrated i do not know how this is physically possible still and the reason i bring it up and the reason it's a hot take is because the fifa 20 ratings dropped on monday yeah and the sheer amount of disrespect that roberto firmino has been shown once again by ea sports is absolutely wild he is 86 rated and you can compare him with some of the other strikers, Abamyang 88, Mertens 87, and Son Heung-min 87. So all rated higher, which is an absolute travesty. I put it to Twitter, just trying to, just trying to show people really what had happened and how disrespectful this was. And I got two main schools of thought back. The first one is, you're correct, Sam. This is underrated. He is underrated and this is shocking. Where do I send my complaints? So I built an army, don't worry. But the other, the other school of thought was, he only scores about 15 goals a year. He can't be rated any higher. This is where the problem lies, isn't it? Yeah. This is where the problem lies. So I don't think with a player like Firmino, it's fair to judge him solely on his goals scored tally. For a player like Aubameyang, it's absolutely fair. It's probably the only thing you should 
grade him on. But for someone like Firmino, people say, oh, he only scored 15. The fact that he managed to score 15, in addition to doing all the 150 other tasks he does for Liverpool, is actually something you should be rewarding with respect, not a stick to beat him with. He's like the most creative player in the best attacking three in world football. He is He facilitates all of the chances and all of the space for Mane and Salah. He creates all the chances. He leads the press. He links the front three. Like the fact that he manages to score a hat trick against Arsenal every now and then is a is a bonus. Dean, I know you don't care about FIFA rating. No, I really don't care what his FIFA rating is. But I do care about him as a footballer. This is what I mean. So, are you in the school of thought that Firmino is wildly underrated? Absolutely. I didn't actually realise until recently just how uh, underrated he was because. Someone suggested on, on Twitter that he would get into Man City's team and all these Man City fans hit back was like, not getting near our team, wouldn't get Aguero's spot, even Jesus is better than him. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I was like, actually, he might be ideal for Guardiola. He might be exactly yeah. what Guardiola wants Aguero to actually be. Obviously, Aguero's got the goals which Firmino hasn't gotten. He'll carry on doing that for now. But in terms of what... He still Pep scores quite a lot of goals. He does score quite a lot of goals, but yeah. the next phase of, of Man City is probably someone as Firmino. So yeah. actually, I think that he's perfect for so many teams of that very, very elite level. I do think, though, he only would fit in in like probably five or six teams in the world right now because he has to be playing in a team that plays a certain brand of football that can actually appreciate and allow someone to have that role and score goals from elsewhere. So I understand it from that point of view, but definitely Firmino's underrated. The amount he does for his team is incredible. So to finish this up, I would like to say this. If I was given a podium, a megaphone, and the guaranteed attention of five seconds for the whole world, I would stand. I would not plead for world peace. I would not encourage recycling to save the planet. And I would not shout... Boris Johnson as a dickhead. I would shout five words, sharp and concise. Roberto Firmino deserves more respect. Thank you, Sam, for your hot take this week. I'm just going to move things on to you, Dean. You know, fire away. What have you got for me? I'm actually really worried right now for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because he's probably really enjoyed the last week or so. No football to worry about. Until Nemanja Matic started piping up, saying that actually, you know, let's if anyone should be responsible for what's going on Man United, it's definitely this man. If they're not if they're not challenging for the title, it's his fault. Pretty much what you said without saying it quite explicitly as that. I think we could be just days away from an Oli out campaign that actually ends in Solskjaer becoming the next manager to lose his job. They play Leicester City at the weekend And on the back of the club's worst start in 27 years, United being a pretty tough watch a lot of the time. Leicester, currently third in the table, actually really impressive and I think going to get better and better as this season goes on. Ollie's at the wheel, but he's driving in the wrong direction (laughs) and I think his time might be up soon. I feel a bit sorry for him because it has been a tough summer. It's a tough situation to manage in, but sadly it's tough at the top and he's going to be judged on results. And although I think even the most ardent United fan wants him to succeed, a lot of them are starting to accept that it's probably not going to happen. I've actually written a piece on Solskjaer on Bleacher Report talking about whether he's, the time is coming up for him. And one of the season tickets I spoke to actually predicted they're going to finish 10th this season. Okay. And he didn't actually seem that fussed, but he was like, yeah, we'll probably finish 10th. 
Um, <laughs> there's just this acceptance that they're not very good, and that cannot happen. That can't happen to Monday night because once that happens, you're not coming back for a long, long time, and they're already in that boat. But if they don't even qualify for the Europa League end of this season, they're in big, big trouble. Sam, Javi Gracia got the sack this week yeah, from Watford. He did. His last 15 games. Yeah, I mean, the results or the points tally um, from the last 15 games or so from Javi Gracia, remarkably similar to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's. Remember that Solskjaer ended last season. It was really, like, the form was very poor. It was really bad. The last two games, they, uh, they, they, they basically went winless against already relegated Cardiff and already relegated Huddersfield, which is like not a good look. I know, obviously, it's the end of the season and that's the point where they're like, yeah, right, now, culture shift. Let's change everything. Let's get rid of everyone that doesn't want to play for us. Let's recruit fresh. There are plenty of people out there who just don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has proven himself to be a particularly good manager. And there's yeah. very little that he's doing to really change people's minds. Just take it back very briefly to the decision to hire Ole Gunnar Solskjaer permanently yeah. for literally no reason yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this, it on the pod at the time. This is just, uh, it, it, they've, they've dug their own... Feel-good factor, it's called. They've, they've dug their own grave a little bit here. Oh, yeah. um, there was no, no club in Europe or in the world was, was, was looking at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and thinking, hey, his contract's up at the end of the season, we could appoint him. There was not one soul on earth Mold, looking at that. There was absolutely no reason to do what they did. They, yeah. They've pushed themselves into a corner. If they'd have let that sample size play out and him get to the end of the season, they could easily, at the end of the season, have gone, thank you for taking us to the end of the season. We're going to look in a different direction. Now, they're faced with the possibility of sacking a club legend because of their own trigger happiness. Okay, all right, I want to move this onwards. So for the final hot take, I want to talk about the international break because I know that some people have very strong opinions on it. Mm. No one in mind. Yes. In, in fact, we ran the poll yesterday and 63% of the 11,000 of you that voted stated that you hate the international break. Well-ranked squad, I have news for you. You're wrong. <laughs> Uh, the international break is unbelievable. And the problem is that you are not watching the right games. You are watching, in fact, all the wrong games. Of course, it's not that much fun watching Belgium hammer San Marino in Scotland or watching England smash Bulgaria or watching Spain destroy the Faroe Islands. So don't watch those games. Let's start with some obvious contenders from this window. So Germany 2, Netherlands 4, absolute crackerjack, game of two halves and a pulsating end-to-end game only decided in injury time. Serbia 2, Portugal 4, similar vibe. Dusan Tadic and Bernardo Silva basically going to -to one-to-one in a kind of trading off with silky touches and pulling strings. Again, only decided late on after a spirited Serbia comeback. But they're the obvious ones. Step off the beaten track for a minute and you'll find there's so much more under the surface. Kosovo. Europe's longest unbeaten run at the time of recording, although that might have ended by the time you hear this. They play England away tonight. But this country, which only declared independence as a nation in 2008 and was only recognised by FIFA in 2016, who lost nine of their first 10 competitive games, then turned it round, won their Nations League group last year, and this time around shocked the Czech Republic to emerge as the genuine challengers to England in Group A qualifying. Incredible. Group J. Armenia, Finland, battling it out to get that second qualifying spot behind Italy. Both unfancied nations, but who've both stunned Bosnia and Herzegovina. Slovenia, last gas double in extra time to beat Israel and leapfrog Austria into second spot in Group G. Azerbaijan, holding World Cup finalist Croatia to a draw. A step out of Europe for okay, a minute. Come on, Every game in African qualifying was free to stream on FIFA's website, meaning you could watch pretty much everything. In Liberia versus Sierra Leone, 18-year-old goalkeeper Ashley Williams saves a 95th-minute penalty to secure Liberia's progression to the group stages. In Asia, Malaysia beat Indonesia in a massive derby with an incredible 97th-minute winner after Indonesian fans have unrailed a massive... 
fuck you losers TIFO at half time that covered half the stadium. Unreal. Pitch invasion. Players crying at the national anthems. You're watching the wrong games. <laughs> no wonder you had to cut out a poem this week. Yeah. Did you watch all those games? I watched quite a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. The international break is so good. It's so good. It's not. There's the reason. The timing of this break is what really got to me because the season had just begun. I was like literally just getting to grips with like new signings, new tactics, new managers. Where can I actually watch these games? Because they keep changing the stations. Like, <laughs> how can I fit this into my life? And I was like, just come to terms. Okay, so Serie A's here. Then I can go to La Liga, back to Premier League, whatever it is. And then suddenly it's gone. And I was like, so annoying. So now, even all the teams that have played like whatever it is now, four games or two games, depends where you are. If you've had a bad start, just forget about it because the season's basically starting all over again this weekend. There's no momentum that can carry on. It's a stupid time to break up a domestic season. I know that it's it's difficult to manage because of the fact that there's teams all over the world involved in, in international breaks. But for me, it's absolutely killed club football at this stage. <sighs> Just like club football will return. Club football doesn't. People say that. Oh, Wait, don't get me wrong. I've watched like I've watched about seven games over the weekend. I, st- I do like international football. <laughs> I just wasn't ready for it. Just annoys me so much when people are like, "Hurt you." I, th- I so, guess your advice is very good for anyone that's like at school, who actually or likes something football. or college or something that's literally looking to waste time. <laughs> the rest of us have got lives. I can sympathise <laughs> with, but, but I'm expertly sitting on this fence. You I are. can sympathise with both of you because there is some really good things that happen during the international break some really great moments but the, the the destruction of the momentum is a real problem as well so well uh, i agree, anyway, I agree right, let's with get off the fence and get on to something that we can all agree on <laughs> melon of the week it's time for melon of the week this week's melon of the week hold it up is the baby watermelon nice 92 percent water oh wow <laughs> crazy in it do you want to drink there you go you hold this cheers mate this week's oh, melon of the week heavier than i thought it would be yeah weigh well, anything Very between nice. six and 12 pounds they can <laughs> Great knowledge. Sponsored by the baby watermelon. This week's melon is Scotland manager Steve Clark. Good stuff. I mean, (laughs) it's tricky during International Week, I've got to admit, to find a melon. Roy Keane actually almost ended up getting this award. But Steve Clark, probably the only man who hates international breaks more than I do. (laughs) Not great when he's an international manager. He played two games over the break, lost 2-1 to Russia, 4-0 to Belgium doesn't actually sound too terrible on, on paper. but Both better teams, aren't they? It was, yeah, they are better teams, but it was actually a disaster for them because oh, it was terrible to watch. The, the tactics were mainly wrong. The team selections were all wrong. Pretty much every major decision he made over the last 10 days has been wrong. Everything wrong. <laughs> and it's resulted in a situation which means, yet again, Scotland probably going to miss out on a major tournament which they actually did have a chance of qualifying for before this break started. On paper, Scotland have an all right team. They do, A yeah. perfectly reasonable side. I don't know what he's up to, to be honest. I mean, he's only he new in he this done? job. He's only been in it for four games now and he's lost three of them. Was he responsible for the 3-0 loss to Kazakhstan or was that the previous manager? I believe that was the previous manager. Because that was, was, that was one of the worst in. performances I've ever seen. It's just the, the team selection thing gets to me. I mean, we, they could talk about this because they're all big players who play in the Premier League and he managed to leave out his best striker, Ollie McBurney, who plays for newly promoted Sheffield United. Who, he, by the way, he'd relied on in the first game and played all the balls into him. The second game just didn't play him. Yeah. He didn't play Ryan Fraser, who got the second most assists in Europe last year behind Eden Hazard. Uh, instead, just sort of referring to a weird 4-4-2 where Robert Snodgrass played, who... Just hasn't really been featuring that much for West no. Ham. I just can't really play on the wing anymore. And, and he no played McGinn. Kenny McLean, who plays for Aberdeen, ahead of John McGinn, who's 
probably his best midfielder. And a a midfield duo of McGinn and McTominay is perfectly acceptable. Like, perfectly decent midfield duo. It just doesn't make any sense. It will make sense when this melon arrives in the post for him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we have it. The second Melon of the Week award given out by Dean Jones on Beautiful Ranks goes to Mr. Steve Clark. Congratulations. Right, after the break, we will be joined by Asmir Begovic to talk all things goalkeepers. We actually recorded this interview before Azmir moved to Karabakh. So we asked him if he'd send us a little note from Azerbaijan to let us know how he was getting on. This is what he said. Hey guys, Azmir here, uh, coming at you guys from Azerbaijan, where I joined Karabakh uh, about a week ago on loan until January. I uh, was very excited about the opportunity. Been here the last three, four days, and um, it's been a pretty awesome experience so far. Um, everyone's really been welcoming to me. Um, Made me feel really welcome right from the the first minute I got here. Um, the club's really good. The level of play is quite high. Training camp, uh, our training ground, everything is really really uh, impressive. Uh, we have everything we need, and the city is actually really really cool as well. Lots of things to do, and uh, very friendly people. So excited to be here. Excited to get going. We have our first game on Sunday against Neftchi Baku in a derby, and then we play Sevilla in the first game of the Europa League at home the following Thursday. So. It's going to get going here pretty pretty fast. I'm very much looking forward to it um, and um, see what the, what the whole experience brings. I mean, the weather's really nice, about 30 degrees, so that never goes amiss. And I'm uh, just looking very much forward to the next uh, four months out here. Mr. Asmir Begovic, only for 250 Premier League appearances at Portsmouth, Stoke City, Chelsea and Bournemouth, Premier League champion with Chelsea in 2017, as well as 62 caps for Bosnia, including being number one at the World Cup in Brazil at 2014. Asmir, it's an honour and a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the Rank Squad. Well, thanks for having me and thanks for such a lovely introduction. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Is it the nicest intro you've ever had? It's up there. Oh, yeah. I'm glad. Appreciate that. We, uh, we work hard here at Introduction. <laughs> they're, um, they're normally more long-winded and poetic, but we thought we'd keep it short and sharp. As ever, Mr. Sam Tai in the building, the rank god back. I'm really excited to have Asmir here and talk to him about goalkeeping things. I was going to say, we're going to do a couple of different rankings today, looking at a few different aspects of goalkeeping, the world of football a bit more broadly. We'll start things off by ranking what we're calling things that non-keepers don't understand, okay. or maybe better described as pet hates, things that you hear from analysts, commentators that, that really wind you up. So the floor is yours, my friend. Oh, wow. How long do I have? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. As long as you want, just, just let, let loose and give us your first one. I don't have a, don't get a chance to speak about these things very often. So where do I start? Um, well, let's start with the penalties, right? So a lot of commentators, I was watching a game the other night and Sky commentator Andy Hinchcliffe, you know, Walton at Blackburn saves a penalty. It's like, oh, well, that, that, that's... What a savable penalty. You think, well, you know, he's done well. You know, he's stood there for a long time, gone the right way, makes a good save. And it's like a bad finish by the strike. And I'm thinking, well, if the goalkeeper had just gone the other way, gambled one way, you'd be saying, oh, what a cool finish by the striker. So the goalkeepers don't get enough credit for saving penalties. It drives me mad. It's it's like, a, you know, it's almost a free goal for the striker, whoever's taken a penalty then. And you think, well, how, how does the goalkeeper not get credit for that? So... That's one thing. So how, so is, that, is that like the hardest part of your job, saving penalties? Well, yeah. I mean, it's a free shot from you know, 12 yards. Yeah. So nothing, nothing is more difficult than that for you. Yeah. I think those, I mean, of course, you, you have deflections and things like that, but I think the penalties. Just as a one on one scenario. Yeah, as a one on one scenario, it's control the ball still. He gets a free shot, he can place it anywhere. So, yeah, it's our job to make it difficult and seeing what you can do. But not getting credit for a save. Like, 
you just never get that, do you? I Does mean, that tie into the idea of it was at a savable height? You know, that's a, that's a phrase we like, hear reasonably mean? often. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, mean no, I think, like, I, what it means is it's not in the corner. And, and I, I guess a lot of people think that if it's not in the corner, it's a savable height. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's a very broad. I mean, I just think it, penalties, if a goalkeeper goes the right way, makes a save, it's a great save. And Absolutely. of course, there's some like better if you stick your leg behind you and, and swing your leg and you make a save. That's fantastic. But I think it's a good save no matter how you save a penalty. So I, I never get that one, I think. So have, have any commentators said that about a penalty you saved? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, what was the example? Well, example was what like a couple of years ago, 94th minute Crystal Palace away 2-2 and I saved a been taking penalty. He's like, oh, well, that was, that was a badly taken penalty. I think. <laughs> If I had gone to the other way, you'd be like, oh, under pressure, Christian Benteke, amazing, stu- you know, absolute stupendous technique and everything else. But, you know, if I save it, it's, it's a bad penalty. Like, how does that work? I don't know. 94th minute as well. What a, yeah, t- that's what a, a, you know what that's a clutch save. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So, oh, yeah. That's see, not- see what we goalkeepers have to put up with? I suppose, I mean, taking away from the commentary aspect of it, that must be like a real euphoria moment. That is the equivalent of a last-minute winner, isn't it? To, yeah, that's what you work for. Of course, that's what, you, that's what you work for. And, and ultimately, that's what you want to play the game for, to be in those moments and make those big saves and help your team get the results. So from that point of view, it's, it's a huge thing. But yeah, that's, that's one of the things that winds me up. I was like, well, you know, he made a penalty save. That, how can that ever be like a bad save? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I understand there's better penalties, of course, if there's top corner or not, but you can never not give the goalkeeper credit on that. So, to, to, let's go to the Wolves-Man United game on Monday. Yeah. And uh, we, we're not going to delve into the Rashford-Pogba penalty taker yeah, thing. Yeah, because but... that, that had huge fantasy implications for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we won't sky you with that. However, Pogba's penalty must have been, it must have been at least 80 miles an hour. He like, whipped it. He hit that. And Rui Patricio, wrists made a steal, kept it out. But then, of course, you watch it back a few times and then some people will start to say... Yeah, well, it was a decent height for the keeper. So yeah, just yeah, put this yeah. in perspective, into perspective for us. Like, these shots are ridiculously hard yeah. and they're, they're unblocked. They're from 12 yards. Like, it doesn't matter if it's close to you. You've done well to get a hand to it, right? 100%. 100%. I mean, it was, it was a really good save. First and foremost, he has to go the right way. So that, that's already half the battle. So he's gone the right way. And then to make that save, especially when he struck it so hard. And not only that, but not to give up a rebound close in. Because he got rid of the ball quite well, so mm. nobody could even follow up him and score a goal. So, yeah, what, yeah it, was, it was a fantastic save, um, especially in that moment of the game. United score there, it, you know, changes the game, I think, completely. So, yeah, they probably win it. Yeah, they probably win it. So it's such a match, match-winning save, or you know, they get a point. He gets a point for his team, and I don't understand how you would not give the goalkeeper credit. Then, and, yeah, so. and yet, all the chat is. It's a bad penalty from Pogba. That's the, yeah. that's all it was all it was, was talking about for literally an hour yeah, after the game. Rupert Patricia is my point. Rupert Patricia goes to his left. Brilliant. Pogba slots it to the right. Oh, what a committed penalty. He knew exactly where he was going with that. Mm. And it's it's a great penalty. Whereas because the goalkeeper does his homework or does his training, he goes the right way, makes a save. It's get less credit. I don't get it. This is but. something that pops up a lot in terms of you know, something's discussed, but I guess he's never really dived into that much. How much research does go into these things? And, you know, you, especially in a team where there's numerous penalty takers who can take the ball in numerous different ways, it must be, you know, that's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, no, I think a lot goes into it now. Thankfully, technology these days is, is a lot better than it used to be, so you get a lot more information. Um, but each to their own. Everyone does homework, some less, some more than others. Um, some guys just 
you know, wing it on the day and, and see what they can do, what, what, whatever field they have in that moment. So everyone has their own techniques. Which player have, uh, has, has proven, when you're facing him, to be like the hardest to stop in penalties? So either in training or in matches, like, who, who feels almost impossible to stop in these scenarios? Because I imagine you would have trained against Eden Hazard yeah. at Chelsea, who is renowned as a almost flawless penalty taker because yeah. of Hazard his technique. Was good. Hazard was the best for sure. I think he was the best because he, he could just go. He has really nonchalant, like run up, but then he can go everywhere and really quickly. He can change and, and whip it to, to you know to his left, and or he can easily open up and go the other way. So and he because a lot of guys now wait for the goalkeeper to move, so he was the same. So it's really difficult to stay there in that moment, wait, 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 and then do something after. So he scored two or three against me in games, uh, let alone in training. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he scored. He scored a few. Um, David Luiz, very good penalty taker. Mm. He hits the ball really hard. Similar to the sort where we talked about Pogba. Mm. He goes for, for power and from 12 yards to kind of be in that right position to keep it out is not, not, not easy at all. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you know, in terms of you face penalties in games, you, what's the kind of mental, you know, mind games? How much of it is getting someone's head and, and all that? Was that kind of, is that different? Obviously, it's different to different keepers, but what was your style? And was it very much like try and psych people out or just try and pick your spot and, and stick with it? Yeah, a little bit of trying to get into their heads, delay, uh, using delay tactics. You know, I think that that's... Stand on the spot, complain about the ball position. I can just maybe get in the striker's head a little bit um, because in a game, they don't have that walk from center. So usually that walk from from the halfway point is is what makes it more difficult for them because they got to start thinking about what, what they're going to do. So in a game, they usually get the ball and they can just do what they want. So there's as much thinking involved. So if you can try and delay them, that's a good technique. And then, of course, I think secondly, is just, just committing somewhere. You've done your homework. You believe you know where he's going to go. Trust it and hope for the best. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> and hope for and the hope, best. Well, I mean, I guess I, that's that it, ties right? into what we're talking about. They are unbelievably difficult yeah, yeah, to yeah, save. Yeah, but yeah, let's, let's take it on to your, your second pet hate. Okay, so my, my second pet hate is the whole near post rule. Right. Right. So imagine, Sam, you stand five yards in front of me and you just smash the ball as hard as you can. So if the pace beats me, it doesn't matter if it's near post or far post. The pace is going to beat me no matter what. Yeah. So I never quite understand what's the difference or what makes it better to not concede in the near post. Obviously, sometimes when the angle, I understand when the angle is that much in favor of you, it's never good to get beat there. But ultimately, if pace beats your pace is going to beat you no matter where. So I don't get the whole near post thing. You hear so it all the time. I don't get it. Yeah, you hear, oh, I shouldn't be conceding or shouldn't be beaten at his near post. But it's, look, more, it's, it's morally better to concede at your far post yeah. <laughs> somehow. What does that mean? Like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I understand if the angle is really like, Tight. you know, he's on the byline and there's nowhere for him to go and he, he scores through you. That's, of course, you look at yourself. But I think the more it goes into the middle... You know, especially if someone's beating you with pace, it's, it's the pace that beats you, not the angle or not, not the positioning of the striker. Okay, well that makes sense to me. Now that you've explained it, I guess like I think it's just one of those things that's drilled into you, isn't it? Early yeah. doors when when you're you listening, just hear it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. it's just a cliche in terms of. I guess it comes from the angle thing, but you, your point's valid in terms of when it's when they're right at the byline and there is nowhere to go. Yeah. Then I guess people have just expanded it out, and then by the time you're at a forty-five degree angle, there's almost no difference right that's the yeah. but people yeah. will have just taken that from the byline idea and just but, carried it on but you get that one like he smashes like top bins near post whatever you know yeah it's like he's going up there i can't reach it it's not yeah you know it's just gone past me in a flash i can't even react to it 
doesn't matter where yeah. <laughs> where it was. So it comes back that, to the whole. They hit it so hard as well. I, I distinctly remember this is going back quite 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 a few years now. But Yakubu, who used to play for Everton, yeah. and he used to hit the ball like ridiculously hard. Leather it. And they the phrase. The TV cameras had they have a camera right behind the goal in the middle. And the ball went basically through the goalkeeper and smacked into the camera. So they were able to show the ball basically coming all the way towards the camera and then they knocked the camera off. It looked like a bullet, basically. So that's, that's kind of what we're dealing with. Did you ever have to face a shot from Yakubu? I played with Yakubu at Portsmouth. Yeah. Yeah, I had to do with a few of those. Started strapping my wrist in training after <laughs> facing him. So um, oh, he was... Cannon on He's I mean, a prime example for something like that. Yeah, they, they can take us onto a little mini ranking, really. I mean, like fo- footballers that literally just hit it the hardest, like the ones that you faced or whatever. Yeah. Like, who, who's shooting bullets here? Yakuba one. Yeah. Robert Huth. Robert Huth. Do you remember him? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. He's a Premier League winner. Double. Double Premier League winner. <laughs> two different Premier teams. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, give, a man his, give a man his due. Yeah. Premier League winner is not incorrect. <laughs> yeah. no, he's, he's a not Premier not League winner. winner. Yeah. No, Robert Huth. Um, and who would who do we go? Actually, Mishi Batswai. Yeah, a heck of a strike. Yeah. Batswai power. I wouldn't have. Yeah, that's interesting because that wouldn't have been mm-hmm. someone I would have naturally. The other two, you can see it absolutely. You know, also, who's um, a little not susceptible, but William, because he's got like strong legs, just yeah. smashes the ball. But he he curls the ball yeah. quite a lot. Yeah, right? he's got a bit of finesse too. But when he wants to hit it, he can hit it. Yeah, he can full whack. Yeah. Or are they just like even stronger finesse shots and curl shots than usual? Yeah, he, he does. I mean, he can get some really good whip and obviously good pace on his whips, but he can he can smash a ball. The Bashuai one really really, yeah, really surprises that me. That has that's thrown me. Maybe I just bit. haven't been paying attention to Mitch's shooting technique enough. But well, he always seems to like he likes to slot it, doesn't he? Occasionally, and we saw that a lot at Palace when he went out and learned that it was just like I'll go through and I will see you later. I think he likes almost likes the kind of joy and like yep. excitement of actually just making someone look a little bit silly here and there and maybe maybe should hit the ball a bit harder more maybe, maybe that's the answer well, maybe we just like we you know we associate someone like Yakuba and Robert Huth with a powerful strike and then you look at Mitsubishi you look at his style of play and his personality and you just don't immediately think yep. hits the ball like a cannon yeah so there enough. we go what's in at number one then that's me so you guys sure hear a lot oh but he had nothing to do in the game <laughs> you know I can see how this might work again yeah what does that what are you trying to tell me because I, I was there for 90 minutes you know I must have done something I had nothing to do and now sometimes and the, the thing about goalkeeping is shot stopping in games generally is the thing you do the least mm. you know how many shots do you get on target and get maximum five yeah unless you're playing Man City unless you are exactly unless <laughs> you're Man, in the championship or, maybe yeah or in the championship. four, so, five, six is probably about fair yeah a bit less, probably more. So that's what you do in the least. So just because the amount of saves you've made, people assume what you've done in the game. Mm. But you've had to deal with crosses. You had to communicate the whole game. You had to concentrate the whole game. You had to keep positioning, keep your positioning right, keep your defenders away from you, organize set pieces, deal with crosses. All these things that people don't see. And they're like, you know, I come in after a game, like headache, clean sheet, fantastic, maybe one shot on target or zero even. But I felt like really good satisfaction of that game because, you know, it was communicating well the whole team was organized we were really working as a unit you feel pleasing some guy comes in oh yeah easy one for you today was it <laughs> <laughs> you know thanks a lot for me not to smack someone in that position you know so <laughs> it just winds me up a treat i don't get it yeah okay i mean it's fair i, I suppose can you imagine saying that to someone like it's yes. never physically guys it's never physically i'm not going to go in a game oh i just feel like i run a marathon yeah of course it's, it's never going to be physically taxing 
mentally it's, it's draining all the time. There's always this comment, I remember, and it's one that sticks out like from commentators, from analysts, like, oh, he made a last minute save having not faced a shot on target all game. Yeah. Is there something in that in terms of, obviously you're concentrating for the whole game, but actually the reflexes after being still, well, not still, but, you know, yeah. not, you know, wildly called into physically explosive moving, action, yeah. I suppose, is the phrase. Is there something in that, in that 100%. it's harder to save something in 90 minutes where you haven't been facing shots all game just because of reflex yeah. and, and kind of muscle? Now, that's something really good you said there because that takes a lot, um, a lot for goalkeepers to make, pull off that one save when you haven't been as involved in the game for 90 minutes. And that's where the communication... The positioning keeps you in the game all the time. That's where it's really important for goalkeepers to always stay in the game because you're going to have to pull off that reflex. It's actually easier to play in games where you're getting 10 shots on goal. Yeah, I was going to say. You get into the zone, don't you? You get in your zone, you get in the rhythm, you're warm, everything's your hands, you feel the ball, everything's there. But if you're standing there for 80 minutes not having faced a shot, not having seen a shot, then that's where, you know, when they say, well, top goalkeepers can make that one save. That really is a really good, nice, nice skill to have. Let's move things on a little bit. Another, we'll move to another ranking now. And okay. as a goalkeeper, we'd be really interested to hear who you think are the three best goalkeepers in the world right now. I know Sam has his own list. God, I've always got a ranking. Sam's always got a ranking. Yeah, Mr. Ranking over here. Mr. Ranking himself. So, you know, we'll, we'll hear yours and then we'll, we'll, Sam, you can, you can chuck yours into the ring and we'll see where they differ. At three, I'll go Thibaut Courtois. Okay. Courtois? Okay, Why is, what, what do you like about him exactly? I'm just Listen, noting all I, I've worked with him firsthand, so I've worked with him firsthand for a couple of years. Yes, he's a friend, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think he's a complete goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he, he, he makes saves, he has a presence, he takes crosses, he distributes well, you know, and I think he has the overall presence that I would put, put him as, you know, one of the most complete goalkeepers in the world. You referenced taking crosses a couple of times now already while talking about goalkeeper traits and Courtois strikes me as someone who's particularly commanding in the air. Obviously, he's yeah. absolutely massive. Like, yeah, in the air, but also now with the game develops a lot of low crosses. So his positioning is really good. If you see his distances between him and the back line, he plays that really well. Mm. So his positioning is really good. So he cleans up a lot, you know, the low crosses and behind defenders and just plays a really aggressive game. So I think he... he, he he has a very good impact on the game. We saw, I think we saw the very best of him at the World Cup, didn't we? He yeah, was, absolutely. He was uh, the, the most recent one. 2018 was just ridiculous in that, yeah, in that tournament the whole time. Uh, who's number two? Um, num- number two, I'll go Ter Stegen. Okay. How about you guys, by the way? It's oh, a lot no, on yeah. me here at the moment. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry, don't worry. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, so we'll, Ter Stegen we'll, again. We'll Sam in a minute, that's fine. Um, you know, and one thing for him that he has going, the Barcelona style fits him so well. Mm. You know, if you put him into a, a different team, maybe it's a different different ball game, but he fits that team perfectly. You can just see how he fits in. Obviously, the way he plays with his feet, the distance he has, he plays very high, very aggressive, very strong in one on ones, makes a lot of saves. Um, the Spanish style suits him, so maybe a lot less less physicality and things like that. But I think he's he's grown into one of the you know, top goalkeepers. Absolutely, he did, a, he did a decent job at Gladbach before he went there. It was yeah. obviously a completely yeah. a differing style in, in some ways. Obviously, they were in a relegation battle when when he was there to begin with, and, and kind of moved up the table as they went. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's interesting. Having moved from German football to Spanish football and adapted, that's something that works massively in his favour in these kind of rankings. I think. Yeah, and he adapted really fast as well. He did adapt very. Much. What? There was that weird rotation system. I actually chatted to to Stegen a couple of weeks ago. Um, about about this and about when he came into Barcelona and there was that rotation where Claudio Bravo played in the league and Ter Stegen played in all the cups and the Champions League. It was the year they won it, I think 2015. And he said that was the most difficult aspect of anything he's ever had to do. He said that the actual rotation system where he wasn't playing every game and and having to sort of basically work in a 
two-man system as opposed to there's normally a first choice and you know and then a backup that's that's basically how it is but to actually have a system that worked both of them in in different in ways is was innovative i suppose and different but he said that was really tough it's a tricky one um i've been in the position where i've been number two i've been number one and you know it depends what what clubs want i mean we're going to chelsea Mourinho. no i want two number ones you know i try and get enough games for everyone things happen i've seen injuries happen i want two number ones i want to be covered no matter what happens so you have to first understand your role, but secondly, it takes a certain level of goalkeeper to be able to handle that position because you have to be ready to play at all times. Maybe not get the same regular rhythm because once you start playing games, you're playing leagues, cups, it just becomes doing it without your eyes closed. You don't even think about preparation. It just becomes your machine. You roll in one after the next. Um, so when you're not playing regularly, it becomes tricky. So, you know, thankfully you have national team games, you have some cup games. So yeah. if you can play one game a week, it keeps you in some sort of rhythm. And once you go two, three, four weeks without a game, your eye, your feel for the game, it's its something you can't replace. Absolutely. Well, who's in at number one then? I'm excited here because you've got like four amazing goalkeepers still on the yeah, table. Yeah, I mean, here. listen, uh, first and foremost, God, God uh, forgive me for anyone I've left off this <laughs> list. I have, it's a very list difficult. You could, make te- you could make a list of 10 yeah, and you'd be I talking mean, still everyone 10 more class Absolutely, right? absolutely. Um, but I'm going to go with Alisson. Nice. Yeah. Uh, big shout outs to Ariola. Big shout-outs to Oblak, you know, huge, fantastic goalkeepers, Neuer, yeah. um, all those boys, you know, so. And I know that, I know I go Allison you... is number one because I think currently and what the season he's had, everything he's done, um, you've got to put him up there as the most complete goalkeeper. Most complete and the best as well. That's I'm with you. This is really difficult for me because I've very, I'm, I may have been, Slav, um, yeah, maybe Eastern Europeans excluded, I may be the Jan Oblak founding <laughs> fan club member. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've for a long time had a, I've had many, many arguments on Twitter with Manchester United fans about how I think Oblak is a better goalkeeper than De Gea. And they're both amazing, but I think Oblak has always shaded it over the last three years. And I've, I've had this argument countless times. And then last season, I relegated him to second to put Ter Stegen top. And then at the end of last season, I relegated him to third, put Ter Stegen second and put Alisson top. And it's the same thing. It's, it's a complete respect for Alisson and the fact that he does literally everything brilliantly. And what always strikes me with him is the, the clean hands, the catching ability. Yeah. The fact that no ball escapes his mitts. There's never any rebounds, never any second chances at scruffy shots when it comes to Alisson. It's great on the ball. It's good commander. It's good at saving. The security, the ball security, it just, it kind of wows me a little bit. And that's why he's now shot to my number one. Yeah, fair. Of course, it's out of respect for what he's done this season as well. So I got Alisson, Testagen, Oblak. I mean, Having spoken to you before about Petr Cech, I know that you're yeah, a, I was a big huge fan. admirer of Petr Cech. Obviously, he, he's retired now, but you seem to take quite a lot from him. Well, I would say Petr Cech would be the best goalkeeper in Premier League history. I think that's a fair, fair. shout. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think over fair. time... You look at likes of Schmeichel, you look at likes of David James. Van der Sar. Van der Sar, all those boys. Uh, we've done it for so many years, Tim Howards. But I thought I'd put Petter up there. So. What stands out about him for you? Again, just, just I, I like my game, and I'm, listen, I, I would never reach their level, but like my game was always trying to be as complete as possible. Do a little bit of everything. You know, Don't say, well, he can't do this, he can't do that. Well, he can do it. Maybe you know you can't distribute as well as De Gea or distribute as well as Ter Stegen, sure, but doing a bit of everything. And I think Petter did did a little bit of everything really well. Um, you know, obviously, of course, he was always a great shot stopper. In the time when he played, aerial balls were a lot more of a theme, so he dealt with them really well. No team could bully Chelsea because he was able to area really control the game. 
distributed the ball well. He kind of, as the game has evolved, left foot, right foot, was able to do everything. Yeah, not to the level, like I said, of, um, of Ter Stegen or someone, but, you know, he could definitely do everything well. And that's why I thought he was overall and the longevity as well. I think really just a complete like all-rounder as well. Yeah, and just did and it at the top for so well, many years. And also for two teams at the top level, which is yeah. which is impressive in itself. Not many people go and do two you know, very much top-tier teams and, and I'll walk into both sides and, and dominate. So that that's yeah. impressive. What's the worst thing about being a goalkeeper? I think the responsibility and pressure is not easy. Not enough for everybody. You know, people ask, oh, I want to get into goalkeeping. Are you sure? You know, because <laughs> it's the yeah, scrutiny. It's you know, it's a lot less glamour, of course. You know, everyone wants strikers. They... They're the most expensive players, the highest paid players and everything else. So I think the, the fact is that, you know, it can be a very, very lonely position. So you have to understand from a responsibility point of view, from a mental point of view, that being a goalkeeper is a very unique position. So I think that sort of loneliness factor, pressure, responsibility, because no one else in the field has to think, well, if I mess this up even 50%, I, I'm going to get scored on. So, you know, it's that sort of responsibility to embrace it or... It could be the downfall for a lot of goalkeepers. Did you guys ever see that photo of, Bayern, remember Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Ulreich? Yeah. yeah. There yeah. was a photo of him sitting on his, on own. his own. Yeah. And I, I've kept that photo for, you know, for when I do coaching or academy work with my with the kids. He was the, he's sitting on his own. Like nobody comes to console, you know, us, you know, don't worry about the goalkeeper. Yeah. He sat there on his own in the Bernabeu. You think, like, what, what, what goes through your head? The loneliest place on earth yeah. at yeah. that point. It I, is. No, I don't think anybody ever feels that no other player on the field would ever understand what he was going through there. So when you combine that with what we talked about uh, at the start of the show, which is, you know, when you save a penalty, they're trying to take the credit <laughs> away from you. When you keep a clean sheet, but you don't make many saves, they say you had nothing to do. And then you make a mistake and everybody piles on you. But that's, that's part of being different. That's what I love, you know. I love the fact that we're different. We do different things. We're away from the group most of the day. We have our own fun. It's the goalkeeper union. You, like I said, you either embrace it or you don't. Absolutely. You said just there, obviously, about when you're talking to people about becoming goalkeepers. It leads quite nicely on. You've got an academy project going on right now yeah. that's for new goalkeepers, right? I do indeed. Um, well, it started in Bosnia. Back home, we, we've done a couple of camps now. And then the academy, there's work. We've done work a couple times a week, 35 kids. Um, it's done the first year. We start in Bosnia on the 2nd of September. And then um, it starts in Surrey now. So we're expanding into London and the UK. I think there's just room for goalkeeper coaching. Goalkeepers in general coming through, aspiring kids, they get neglected in their local teams. There's not enough coaches to cover being able to coach goalkeepers. So offering them sessions each week. Um, and not just any sessions, you know, I think we can really show them what it's like to train like a professional. Um, the program comes from some of the most qualified coaches. We have, uh, one of the coaches from the Chelsea Academy, Jack Hadley, he's going to be running it. He's going to be joined with, uh, by David Coles, who uh, is an England under 18s national team goalkeeper coach. So I think we have a um, top notch coaching group. We're going to do this at a high level and anyone who wants to get involved, you know, it'd be great to have. Like I said, kids wanted to be goalkeepers. It's not the most glamorous position sometimes. The so kids get put off by it. But we want to make it appealing to the kids to get involved and maybe make careers for themselves. You never know. I'm sure we've got a few aspiring goalkeepers listening. How yeah. do they How do they find you? Get well, involved? first and foremost, find us on... Um, you can type into Google, Azerbaijan Goalkeeping Academy. I'll send you to the link where you can register. Um, that's online. Follow us on social media, ABGK Academy, on Instagram, um, Facebook. Get involved, sign up. Um, lots of good things. Boys and girls, 7 to 16. Uh, definitely want to get the females involved. You know, get get some girls out there. The game's growing, so 
so much. The more, yeah, the more we can have, the better. Absolutely. Right. Well, we will be back after the break with a very special edition of Roulette. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where we are still joined by the one and only Asmir Begovic. It's time for Roulette, Sam. It's time for Roulette. Do you want to give us a spin, start us off? Yeah. If you were a big new signing at a club, how would you like to be unveiled? The one that springs to mind immediately in terms of what what have I liked is the Santi Cathola magician. This is what I was going to go Did you see with. that? That was a good one. Sat where Santi was revealed through misty glass and steam and, and, and I presume just raw magical tricks that we don't know the, we don't know the source of. He is a little uh, magician. That would be absolutely awesome. I'd also just be kind of into like being put into the club shop and just kind of like milling around and just seeing if anybody actually re- like realised who I was. I mean, if you're a big signing, I guess someone would be like, hang on a minute. And then actually just like take your, take your coat off or something like that and you, you're in the kit and you're good. And then the photographers rush over and they do the official thing. I think that would be That'd be quite cool. cool. Have you had any cool unveilings, Asmir? Um, have I had any cool? Listen, what sums me up is just a basic tweet. <laughs> Welcome to the club, Asmir Begovic. I think that would sum up as, <laughs> as far as they would go with my uh, introduction. Your, your last move was before the craze of yeah. these ridiculous videos that happened. Right, so it would have been 2017. Yeah, that you, yeah, and it, we sort of it sort of kicked off a little bit later yeah, than that, didn't come... it? So, don't, your your magical unveiling out of a, a a misty glass tube on in the middle of the pitch is coming. Don't worry about that. <laughs> don't see it, mate. I don't see it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I like John Stones' unveiling at Manchester City where they just put him on a team sheet before he'd been announced. <laughs> they registered. <laughs> they him registered for him for the Champions League, and he hadn't been unveiled yeah. as a City player yet. And everyone was like. Hang on. <laughs> That's not okay. Oh. Actually, when, when Harry Arter signed for Fulham recently, the Fulham media team accidentally put out pictures of training and he was in them without, without being announced, which is someone, someone screenshot him and was like, That's Harry Arter. I'm sure it is. <laughs> and it had been, been in the pipeline for days and everyone was like, Oh, yeah, it is actually. Yeah, well done. That's a good unveiling. There oh, you go. I think, yeah. I think there's something quite fun about, about that. That is quite fun. Aston Villa signed a goalkeeper last summer. Did not announce him, and then he was pictured getting off the plane um, in Aston Villa training gear with a bag, and they'd got onto a pre-season program, and he was just with his teammates laughing. It was like, ah, oh, we have signed. They him. have a new player. Right, <laughs> exactly. I'll give it one more. All right, this is a good one because I think Asma, you'll have you'll have something to say. If Huddersfield were allowed two goalkeepers, as in twelve players, would they have survived in the Premier League last season? <laughs> Oh, to be fair, yeah, yeah, definitely. And where would they have finished? Seventeenth or above. <laughs> they, they got relegated by quite a big margin, didn't they? they? They did, but two goalkeepers. I think they might have been the second worst side in Premier League history after that famous Derby County side of those. They were, yeah, they were. They were not good. They needed a lot of help. Yeah. Um, two goalkeepers. I mean, it depends, it depends who the two goalkeepers are. So true. Is I mean, as long as it's not one of the outfielders going in goal, because then you just get in the way, right? Yeah. If you look to your right, but surely it's quite. You, it must be quite hard. Imagine that's really difficult yeah. playing with two goalkeepers. Like all of your space is, yeah, is yeah, taken yeah. up by someone. It's you'd go for the same balls, wouldn't you? Sounds more complicated, yeah. Then probably would you'd be, probably right? be better off bringing in an extra centre half. You could probably implement <laughs> a "I'll go for crosses, you stay on the line" policy. And you can change that by game by game basis, but as long as you're both not rushing out of well, the goal to, to compare it to this, right? Like you play doubles and table tennis, it's not easy. Oh, it's a nightmare. It's a you're different right. game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I hate doubles. It's a different dynamic altogether. I'm telling you, you just don't work well with other humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just don't trust them. <laughs> I don't trust them. Absolutely not. Okay, I've changed my answer. 
No, it would make it worse. It would make it worse. Get... Yeah, I, I don't think it would. I think, I think having 12 players would have yeah. helped. But I think if the extra player had to be a goalkeeper, it might have actually caused more harm than one. good. It's a tricky one. It's a good question, though. Yeah, that is a good question. question. A good one. Right. Okay. Let's go to what is normally nonsense. Um, but this week is not going to be complete nonsense because one, Sam isn't doing it. As yeah. we're going we're gonna to get you something, rank something non-football related. We're going to get you to rank your favourite three sports outside of football. From three to one, please. So, for those who know me, I'm a bit of a sport, you know, sports junkie. So, yeah. I um, is there a sport you don't watch? Oh, I don't think there is. Yeah. Professional bowls. Yeah, within I mean, within reason. Within reason, yeah. I mean, is that even on TV? I'm, I'm sure it's on one of the channels if you look yeah. hard enough on a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The o- the Ocho, ESPN, ESPN, Ocho. the Ocho. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Maybe. Um, okay, let's go basketball one. The best one. This is a very close, like, close ranking. So there's not much difference between basketball one, um, American football two, and baseball three. Oh, they're, they're very American heavy there. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go tennis four. Oh, it just keeps going. It just, we, oh, just, we, can, we, we just roll for all five. <laughs> I like I watching six. golf. I get quite a, lot of it, quite a lot of stick for watching golf. Yeah. from people in the office but I love watching golf it's really therapeutic Just yeah. like, oh. I love playing it so oh yeah of course yeah, it's, um, it's why, why it. basketball is one what's the best, what's I, the best know, thing I, I just think basketball the, the way it is at the moment it's just a big soap opera so so much so much going on I think lots of good teams a lot of good players so it's just very competitive wide open uh, even the off seasons like a drama soap opera like free agency trades craziest league I think out of all are you a bit of a fantasy junkie for these oh, all the different sports yeah. all of them yep not so much baseball because it's like you said it's daily game it's just too hard to keep up yeah I can't keep up so unless you're especially with the time zones and you don't get the the lineups can change within a minute so I can't keep up in the middle of the night if someone goes out and I have to change them so baseball I don't do but definitely basketball American football and then football over here it gets very intense as you know Sam I know you have one final thing you want to talk about on this podcast so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you tee it up and introduce it yeah so you scored a goal <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, sure, lots of people bring it up, and um, you basically playing for Stoke. Yep. Um, ball comes back to you from kickoff, more or less, and you just whack it. That's right. Hit it well, <laughs> really well. <laughs> you hit it really, really well. Um, so this guy basically bounces over Arthur Boritz's head, and it goes in. I watched your match of the day interview post game, so I watched it yesterday. And I thought you were very conservative magnanimous very magnanimous with um with how you address the situation do you want to give us the truth <laughs> no actually uh, you felt bad for him you felt bad for boris well yeah i mean it's not a not a good thing to happen isn't it like you know he scored you, yeah i know but you think from the other one oh what i want to be receiving in on that one would you did you get did you have a goal bonus in your contract <laughs> no did you insist <laughs> on one from that point onwards that. did you insist on one afterwards is that it's happened once i tried i don't know what would give it to me so um, and arthur boris is your teammate mm-hmm. so how many times on average per day do you mention this to him oh as many times as possible <laughs> don't worry about that no it's as much as i was respectful then now it's it's like no do you remember that time art yeah yeah you remember that time. oh yeah yeah you know the game <laughs> yeah, i'm talking about yeah, exactly you know that time so people always talk about the famous swirling wind in the britannia stadium are we giving the swirling wind the official assist no. if it was fantasy football it'd be goal begovic assist wind swirly wind yeah probably second assist wet pitch how how <laughs> intense was that wind I mean, I've been to Britannia in the stands yeah. and it's it's pretty cold and windy. Yeah. No, but like on the pitch, it just seems like 
different different ball game. It's tough it's because you have the open corners. They shut one corner now. I think the last couple of years, so that that helps a little bit. But yeah, through the through the gaps of the stands, it's coming through and and you're standing still. Yeah. You're one of two people on that pitch that has to stand yeah, still. Yeah, like... man, it was pretty cold. <laughs> it was pretty cold, and when it's some rain, oh. Those are the days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, this is when you start taking inspiration. Yeah, but from I love that. Stoke, so I would do it again for sure. Oh, this is when you start taking inspiration from Gabriel Kirai's trackies, right? Yes. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah, I should have worn those a couple of times. I mean, I mean, he became a bit of a cult hero for those. Obviously, yeah. there, you know. But I do remember them at Fulham and being like, "Please don't wear that." <laughs> like, please. What's the main problem that they looked like they were from, like? They were like ten, yeah, like, like ten dollar like trackies. Well, this is the thing. Like, you get such technical tracksuit bottoms now, and everyone has like the full technical gear and things. And it, those ones were just the like they looked like pajamas, and they and that was always yeah. the line. The pajama <laughs> bottom tracksuit. They were the big fluffy ones that yeah. you you get in Primark. I'm sure they weren't. You know, I'm sure they were. Yeah. They literally slow good. you down when you try and run. But they did look like those, <laughs> and I think that was part of the. I think that was one part of the appeal. The massive. If someone was just wearing technical trackies, you'd be like. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess that's quite reasonable. Whereas, you know, you watch these and you're like, what are those? Like, what's going on? You just can't imagine at the moment, can you? Like, you never see that. Just the attitude to be able to pull them off. Like, <laughs> yeah, confidence. No. Fair enough. Yeah. Also, it fit him because it became part of him. Didn't yeah, it became so it kind part of, of got myth. to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, his, yeah, it looks all right. It's his personal yeah. brand. It's his legacy. Like if, I, if I rocked up with gray sweatpants in a game, you'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah. If he hasn't now, I know he officially retired quite recently because we did a graphic of hanging up the sweatpants. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not the gloves. If he hasn't <laughs> thought about putting a clothing line out, he's really missing a trick. Yeah. I, it, it is my I think he does, Sam. I think he does his own range of gloves and stuff. So. Well, he needs to add, yeah. add gray trackies. I think so. I, think so. But I can't say for sure. Don't quote. Co- no. just, just if it exists, just, you know... You know, what I'll text them for you. you know what kind of stock you're getting into your academy, right? So yeah. like what, what <laughs> the sort of kit that these kids can buy when they come and train with you. Like, yeah, we offer first class professional service, <laughs> Chelsea, England under 18 coaches. We also supply Gabble Karai track pants. <laughs> Perfect stuff. It's an idea. There <laughs> we go. It'll it'll attract it'll attract attention <laughs> if nothing else. Well, that is us all but wrapped up for this week. And all that's left for me to do is say a massive thank you to Asmir Begovic. How can our listeners follow you? You know, we know the there's Twitter handles for the yep. academy, but for your personal one, um, at Asmir One on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Where's the podcast? You've been on it, Sam. Jack probably need to get you on at some point. Season of Sports. Follow that on all social media platforms. But yeah, Asmir One, nice and simple. You managed to get the same handle Cracking for all, handle. The, all of the, the same social platforms. That's right. That's awesome. That's like a, it's a huge win. It's a big win. If only we were... Got in there early. Got yeah. in early. So it's, it's also a great, it's yeah. a strong handle. You know, you know exactly what you're getting with that. It's yeah. no messing about. <laughs> well, thank you also to the inimitable Sam Ty. Thank you. I've been Jack Collins. Remember to get involved with all things on the podcast using the hashtag BRFootballRanks. Get us on Instagram. Get involved with sending in questions for the roulette wheel. Get involved with the poll goes up on twitter every week if you haven't already also make sure you've downloaded the br app for all the best sports and culture crossover content keep sharing the pod please keep inviting your friends we'll see you very shortly ranked pod Peace.